The Sunnis teach me how to discipline my soul. The Sufis, how to love and let go. And I love meeting like uh, Sunni Sufis because they are really, they're very serious and sincere in their practice. And so there's a lot you can learn. There's so much you can learn from them because if you meet someone and maybe you'd have different perspectives on certain points of belief, but they excel at something and they are sincere and they genuinely care and they put their whole heart and soul into it. That's something admirable. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. Hello, Seekers. I'm here with Miriam Kadri. I'm really excited about our conversation today. She is a sociologist in her training and also a Sufi. And in 2004, she was initiated into the Kadriya order of Sufism. Her first book, The Voice of Truth, was commended by the late Grand Mufti of India, Akhtar Raza Khan. She's since worked with Sufis and Islamic scholars across the globe and has authored multiple books on Islamic Sufism for both adults and kids. And she writes a wonderful weekly newsletter inspired by all things perennial, universal, holistic, productive, and fun. And I'm just really excited because I discovered Miriam uh, and she's in this East Central Illinois area. And I think in a lot of ways, we're kindred souls. And I'm just really looking forward to our conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Miriam. Thank you so much, Kelly. And I feel the same way. Yeah. So, you know, I tossed out the word Sufism, um, and it's the mystical side of Islam. But a lot of people may be unfamiliar with what that is. So could you kind of briefly explain it to the audience? So Sufism you really actually gave a very nice, succinct definition. Sufism has many definitions. Some of the Sufis called it beautiful manner. So Sufism is all about having a beautiful manner. And Hazrat Nayak Khan, he said that Sufism is to see God in the heart of man. And so Sufism is really about connecting to your spirit, connecting to your, to your heart and connecting to everyone else. And it can be seen religiously. So there are Muslim Sufis, but you also meet non-Muslim Sufis. And it can be also a philosophy. It can be, it can be basically really an essence where your spirit conscience, uh, conscious of your spirit, and you're trying to embody the best manner possible. And so, so in that way, like Islamically, all Muslims, for example, believe and agree that Prophet Muhammad, it says in the Quran, he was sent with, he was only sent to perfect good character. So we have in him this beautiful example, and we have in Sufism, all the great sages who came from that have always sought to imitate that manner, whether it was Mulana Rumi or whether it was Hafiz or whether it was um, Imam Ghazali, the more like on the more, um, what does he say, orthodox, more, more like um, 
you know, traditional Sunni side, it's like a very heartfelt tradition. And mm-hmm. it, it tends to be it tends to be very, very open and inclusive. However, you will meet different Sufi schools. So some people who are Sufi require someone to accept Islam. Um, that's you will meet some Sufi schools of that nature. And there are other Sufi schools like the one we belong to, the Qadriya and the Anayati order and other Sufi schools. Chistia in India is very famous. Um, that are actually universal, and they do not require conversion at all. So it is just what is required is an open heart and a receptivity to the teachings, and then living that living that wisdom. Hmm. That's really beautiful. And so um, one of the things that I've discovered through my own learnings about faith is that um, there's actually mystical traditions in um, many of the world religions. So how would you compare it to somebody who might be more familiar with like the Christian mystical tradition? Oh, absolutely. It's actually it's highly co- comparable in that way, especially Sufi orders. So before actually accepting Islam and becoming a Sufi, I was really drawn to Catholicism because of the ritual, because of the, um, I just love the mass. I love the idea of the mystical teachings, like the rule of St. Benedict, the Benedictine order. And, um, and that was deeply inspiring to me. And when I, so I went for like a whole year, my senior year of college to the Catholic church, trying to find that. And, <laughs> and I didn't, in our, in our local area, there wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't really available. Um, and so I did find it though in Sufism, this, this same idea. And so what I often like when people ask me, well, what is Sufism sometimes from a Christian perspective, I would say it's the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Which um, I really resonate with the Beatitudes and think it is a huge wisdom and very practical way of being. Yes. So it's a little bit prescriptive. It's it gives you kind of very clear direction about what you what how you should act and yeah. not just how you should be. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so you talked about being in college, but um kind of take us take us through your story and how how you even got connected with Sufism and what has been your kind of journey, your spiritual journey through the course of your life. Okay. So I grew up in a a Protestant Christian family, um, in a Methodist household, and I have lovely parents. My mom is a Christian missionary. And what happened in that context is that um, I, although I understood the teaching, it did not resonate with me. I always had a little uh, trouble with certain ideas. Like I didn't see why we were different. Right. I, I saw us as being the same as everyone else. And I was like, why are we saved? <laughs> like, like, what makes mm-hmm. us special? Yeah. And I had trouble with the doctrines. And I even with Islam, I have trouble with doctrines of salvation where people feel they take those. And I think they're beneficial on one hand. But when you take them and you feel that you've got something that someone else doesn't mm-hmm. and then you feel you're worthy, but they're unworthy and you think mm-hmm. you have to rescue someone else. I think that's when it becomes quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um and problematic for the person who has that idea and then for the person who they're trying to reach out to because you don't come from a place of curiosity and understanding. You come from a place of feeling you know more or you know better. And and then the interaction is soured. But so I had trouble with that in my family. And for some reason, um, nobody knew how to remedy it. Like my mom, God bless her heart, she said at age seven, she knew that our church didn't work for me. Like it worked for everyone else, but it didn't wow. work for me. And she didn't know why, like she, and she didn't know what to do. And she's, she's, a, she's a lovely woman. And so, um, and I couldn't explain it either. Cause you're a kid, you don't understand what's going on, but I would always approach any new thing with, from the perspective of that thing, not from my own perspective. I would want to know 
what it says about itself, how if it's about a people or a culture or a religion, what do they say about themselves? And uh, and I was once in conversation with with a family member and they said to me, they said to me, like, why would you do that? And I'm thinking, like, why wouldn't you do <laughs> why that? Why wouldn't like, you do that? Why wouldn't yeah. you do that? Right. So I came across Buddhism in high school and transcendentalism was deeply inspiring to me, um, getting, getting out in nature and feeling. So I think I really first experienced a, a, like a God I could relate to, a transcendent God I could relate to through transcendentalism and nature. And then the Buddhist teachings of being like, uh, we're preoccupied, the story of Siddhartha, we're preoccupied, and this, and, and this isn't really what your life is about, because you, mm-hmm. you're, we're going to face these realities of suffering, of death, you know, of disease, and, and what will you do? So this was also uh, very moving to me. And, and, and I didn't really hit upon Sufism until much, uh, much later, so then when I started college, I found Gandhi and in mm-hmm. his, his autobiography, he's exploring all traditions. So he's, he has a very positive, friendly understanding of Islam. He has a positive understanding of Christianity. He led me to Leo Tolstoy's writing on Christianity, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then he always said, it's important to have like a friendly acquaintance with other religions. So that really, really resonated. And then as I'm, I met my husband, and many people think because my husband, they think, okay, you became Muslim because of your husband. But my husband's not the reason I became Muslim. <laughs> he's fantastic, but he's not. Because my husband, my husband is spiritual. Like, he wasn't concerned about religion. He was concerned that I was seeking. Mm-hmm. And he himself, like, he's read the Shahada, like the testimony of faith. But he still completely identifies and loves his Hindu tradition. It's a very mm-hmm. wise, philosophical, profound tradition. And he has no desire to relinquish or discard that. Mm-hmm. It's part of his Islam and it's part of his being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, so he, so he's, so, but what he did do is he introduced me to some of the books of Hazrat Nayak Khan, um, a really fantastic book called, um, I think it's called The Heart of Sufism. It's a very beautiful book. And, and that's kind of like a summation of Hazrat Nayak Khan's teachings, but also a summation of universal Sufism. So it's extremely, it's extremely profound uh, work, and it's a, it's a really nice compilation. And then I met his, my extended family, who like so his, so as one side I have a Hindu, Hindu family members like his sister, and then on the other side I have his elder brother who's a, who's a convert to Islam, and then his wife who's Pakistani. Oh, wow. And so I had this kind of like this kind of like merging of like all these like so I'm Christian and I'm and I've got this like Hindus and I've got these Muslims and I'm like okay what do I how do you make sense of all that uh-huh. and um, and then they're different kind of different value sets too that can conflict because in in his his family with the with Hinduism I have found in among his members of the family who are Hindu there's completely um, open and accepting. So mm-hmm. there's, there's no feeling of comp, comp, there's no competition between religions and Hinduism mm-hmm. in the way his family practices and understands it. It's all, we're all worshiping the same reality. And in, and really mm-hmm. in Islam, that's actually what Tawheed is the oneness of God. That's essentially what it means when we say la ilaha illallah, there's nothing but God. And then the literal meaning is there's no God, but God, but our teacher, Hazrat uh, Babuji, um, that's a short form of, he has a long title sequence, but Babaji, <laughs> <laughs> Babaji was told Uday, it means there's nothing but God. So essentially yeah. we're all interconnected. There's only this ultimate reality and that reality is in moving in everything. Mm-hmm. So what happened is as I was learning about all these traditions, I was actually really kind of igniting my Christian, my idea of Christianity at the same time. So yeah. I was like into Jefferson and what he had to say about uh, Christianity. I was into Tolstoy and I was like, this is Christianity. Oh, this is what it is. This is what it is. And I was, you know, going to the Catholic church. I was really enjoying it. 
And then my, so I shared it with my family. I was super excited and, and they didn't mean it in a bad way, but they were like, um, they were like, no, 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 <laughs> that's, that's not right. <laughs> you know, because, because if, if you really sincerely believe that, that John 316 is quite literal, like if you sincerely uh-huh. believe that and that Jesus uh-huh. is the only way, you know, uh-huh. then, then it's problematic mm-hmm. if someone says that he is a way or he is definitely like the way for those who feel that way. But, but he is, he is a medium to this absolute oneness and transcendence. Right. Mm -hmm. But so that was actually a blessing to me when that happened, because I realized I was also studying so much about Islam and I, and I thought, okay, like if I'm not a Christian, (laughs) if I'm not a Christian, then what am I? And, and so Islam, Islam is a unique religion in that it acknowledges all of the prior prophets some are named mm-hmm. in the Quran and some are not. So with that teaching, you have the idea that of the Prophet Muhammad, the, they're all brothers from the same mother, but they're something like that. Anyways, the saying is, I'm unclear. The saying is <laughs> essentially that their their religion is one, but their mm-hmm. laws differ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because each people needs a different for their different place in time. And yes. so so but the but essentially the message is one. And so, and then there's this validation of all of them. And I found mm-hmm. that deeply, deeply inspiring. And, and then he, Jesus is part of that tradition. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, I can reclaim Jesus. And can you just make a note? I mean, I think a lot of people are unfamiliar. Is, is Jesus and his mother Mary, are they mentioned in the Quran? Oh, quite frequently. Yeah. Yes, he's known as he's known as Isa ibn Maryam. So he's actually known as Isa, the son of Mary. That's mm-hmm. how they describe him. He's known as the spirit, the Ru. Um, he's uh, he's. It's said about him, in comparison to Adam, God said said be and it is. So just as Adam was came from nothing, like Jesus coming from Mary, like did this divine immaculate. This is the creation. All it says be and it is. So it's very lovely how he and his mother are mentioned. His his mother Mary is considered. Um, she's among. I think there are five of the most holy women in Islam and she is in the top five. So very frequently mentioned. And there's even a whole surah, there's an entire chapter named Maryam, like the chapter of her. So it's a whole chapter named, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people who come from a Christian tradition who aren't familiar with other faiths would be surprised to hear that. Right, yeah. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your story. So no, you, no, I you, liked it. You actually, so you got, you were able to reclaim Jesus. You were kind of creating an entire unified package in right. some ways. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so it did kind of all come together nicely for me that way. And then you get to see kind of the conflicts that come about as a result of that. So I had at different times during this period, even before, you know, from people in my life who were Christian, I was told, you know, frequently I, I would be going to hell. I was going to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the most loving way, you know, <laughs> yes, like I'm yes. saying this out of mm-hmm. sincere concern yes, to save you. Yeah, uh-huh. and yeah. I'm like, and I, but it didn't have the desired effect, you know. And I would, uh-huh. and I would answer, you know, I would answer back and be like, mm, and you, and I, fi- I found that you, if you do this to people enough, they will actually start to like, they do not care if you, they're damned. You know what I mean? You will actually right. begin to just reject the whole thing mm-hmm. because you're like, it doesn't, you know, that's fine. You've written me off, and I've written, I don't really, I've written off what you have to offer. You right. know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. And then similarly, I we found that like because you you find these attitudes with people. So in, in even when I was accepting and embracing Islam, I ha- I had situations with I saw people who would try to really forcefully convert someone, um, and just dis- in very disrespectful ways, in ways that were just like they didn't just feel wrong; they were improper, and just not be able to 
you know, be happy for the other person or accept that the other person has a way that maybe isn't their way. And so that, uh, that became hard. Like, and then, and then you meet, sometimes you meet people who are very legalistic and in a mm-hmm. tradition, and then they want you to become legalistic because they're not, they, they're not comfortable unless you're behaving and acting like them because they mm-hmm. feel that their understanding is the one and only understanding. And, and so Alhamdulillah, by God's grace, I have met the vast majority of my friends who are Muslims and people I know don't have this mentality. In fact, one of the most refreshing things about the Muslim community is actually how um, non-judgmental it is and how open and loving it is. Like uh, my sister teased me. Uh, she has a, a Muslim exchange student. His name is Muhammad. And so I was just like super, super excited to meet him. And she was like, she was kind of blown away by it. And I was like, I was like, well, you know, this is actually, this is, it's part of being in this community. You just, there's just like this open hearted, like you meet a stranger on the street and there's suddenly your brother or sister. Like it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very cool feeling. So, so most of my friends and people I know who are Muslim, I've been just exceptional that way, just completely welcoming and, and they take you where you're at and they might occasionally share with you what they, if, uh, like they have a different view on something, but never in a way that's necessarily forceful. Mm-hmm. And even when I've had, like, I did have a Dawah call, like, um, from someone that I really like and work with and, and, uh, he was again, just sincere concern, but it really, I was, I was kind of like. I shared with him, uh, not immediately, because I take time to process things, especially things that are upsetting me. So I shared that, you know, for me, you know, we have a saying that uh, the Prophet said about Hazrat Umar, that Hazrat Umar, who's the second caliph in Islam, that he was beloved to God when he was bowing before idols. You know, it seems so odd, right, for the tra- for a tradition that ha- removed all, all sim- symbolism in terms of physical idols and things like that, all symbols of God in that form. But that even when he was in that state where he's bowing before falsehood, he was beloved to God. I just shared with him that, you know, I'm sorry, I disagree. And I don't, and I don't really feel comfortable with what you've said to me. Um, and I found it hurtful because like, you know, what was the need and why? And so that person, what he did was so amazing to me is that he said, you know, I'm sorry. Like he had forgotten how and what he said. <laughs> huh. And so what amazed me about him and why I think he's a person of high character and integrity is that he said, forgive me. Nobody can judge you. Like only mm-hmm. God knows. And I don't have the right to say whether your deeds are accepted or not. It's not for me to say that to you. That's only God knows. So this is, I think, a really refreshing and beautiful thing. And like I said, I've just I've just met such exemplary Muslim friends and things like that. But I've also seen people who can take it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very cognizant of like the importance of having a balance, Mm -hmm. that it's important to allow people to be who they are and and to be careful. Like, you know, to kind of be careful and to protect people when they're being pushed or pressured because there's Mm -hmm. supposed to be no compulsion in matters mm-hmm. of the religion. And that's again in the Quran. So we don't have the right, nobody has the right to do that to another person. Hmm. So I, my faith has gone in like a roller coaster because of this, because I've yeah. had some, some extremely positive experiences. And then I've had some very, seen some very ugly, unfortunate things. Mm-hmm. And then at my lowest point, I found that's when I really actually turned to the teachings of Hazrat Inayat Khan. And I found uh, Pirzia Inayat Khan. And he's a he's a Sufi he's a Sufi teacher and the head of the what's called the Anayati order, and so I started learning uh, from him and from the different teachers in the Anayati order after after our our teacher passed away. So he passed away in 2012, 
and and I was able to start learning uh, from them and the different teachers there. And so so it was a really nice continuation because it's the same universal Sufism. So that was really refreshing because I did reach a point where when I went deep into the Sunni tradition, I became myself very closed. Like I became mm-hmm. very closed. Like so my, so my husband, what happened to him was um, we were under this pressure and he and he was he was Muslim, but in his own way, which is very unique. You know, and that wasn't it was upsetting people. And so so finally, they he was treated in such a poor manner that he he just renounced it. And he put up pictures of Sri Krishna in our house. And he did. (laughs) And he did it to like, you know, one, because he's devoted to Sri Krishna. Like we like Sri Krishna. He's he said he's attractive. His name actually means blue. And if you see like a deep blue and possibly blue sky, that's like I was looking at that a few days ago. And I was thinking, like, I can see why they say he's attractive because blue is. Mm-hmm. Deep, like it's it's like takes your breath away, right? You just keep on looking at it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that was really hard for me because I was at my zenith of being a Sunni. So I was as orthodox as I could ever have gotten, probably. <laughs> and it kind of all fell apart. And I was and I was in a state of crisis because I wanted him to be happy, but then I but then is again Islamic law like the Sharia. There are all these rules, and there are rules pertaining to women regarding who you can marry. And one of them is that a, a Muslim woman cannot marry a non-Muslim man. And so if my husband is like outwardly oh. being non-Muslim, or you know, like he's at a point where he even doesn't mind saying that because he's been pushed too far and treated in such a, you know unkind way then you know so i was in i was in a, a real pickle you know and our teacher he was still alive and i was literally crying over it because i had taken because so so on part of me what i'm trying to say is part of me deeply sympathizes now and understands how people become and why people become uh, so like legalistic um, legalistic and, and, mm-hmm. and like so religious to a point that's kind of narrow not mm-hmm. religious in like an expansive way but it kind of in a, in a very letter of the law and not spirit mm-hmm. of the law and mm-hmm. so I am deeply sympathetic to that now. And I feel there's a like there's a place for everything. Like there's a mm-hmm. place sometimes for this because it does give you guidelines and it can be helpful. Um, but there's but but if taken too far, especially in, like we talked uh, before this started and we live in a world, it's so nuanced and it's so, uh, you know, there's worldliness everywhere. It's, how do you maintain this purity? Right. This is mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like this level of purity. So he said to me, I was so distraught uh, because I didn't know what to do. And he said to me, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah. Oh, and, I wish more people could say that. <laughs> right, right. And it was, and those were like his last words to me, really, because he was in, oh. a, in an illness of kind, of kind of final, and that was his last guidance. And and I thought, how could it not matter? Like belief is everything. Because when you go through, mm-hmm. like, if you go through, like, uh, any, I have hundreds of books uh, by innumerable scholars, and you know, and if you look at the books of theology, if you look at the books of Islamic law, like, how can you say it doesn't matter, right? It's like everything. So, mm-hmm. and I was torn. And one night we were sleeping, and I and I was like. I and the pictures of Krishna were in the house, and I was distressed by them. <laughs> I was like, and like. It's worth noting, you know, because I began as this extremely liberal, open person, and then I became someone who really even couldn't stand pictures of deities, and I, oh. and and even um, anything, most anything related to my prior faith, and uh, even though some of the prayers of Hazrat Nayak Khan are really beautiful, but they're inclusive. He takes the names of all the, like he'll say, Krishna and Shiva mm-hmm. and Buddha, mm-hmm. and I couldn't. I had trouble reading those prayers because I, I had reached wow. this place of I, I can only think from one perspective, I should only see from one perspective. 
not, I need to block it out. And so, so I was in this state and I said, uh, I just like cried out to God. He's like, God, what am I supposed to do? And the verse came from the Quran. Everywhere you look, there is the face of God. Wow. And I thought, okay, it doesn't matter. And everywhere you look, <laughs> there is the face of God. And so it took several years, but I reached a place where I was, I was really comfortable with it. I became very comfortable with it. And then I also reached a place where I realized this isn't healthy. Like mm -hmm. this narrowness, for me at least, it definitely was not healthy. And I think to a larger point, for even the larger world, I think if we take it to a place where we're unable to get along with others, if we're unable to tolerate others, if we're unable to tolerate difference, then we're reaching a place that isn't healthy. Because many people, like we've shared as we're talking, uh, they'll actually do things that are hurtful, but think that they're doing something good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I really like, so Richard Rohr is somebody that I read quite quite a lot of. And he has this book called Falling Upward, which is about um, spiritual development through mm -hmm. your life. And he talks about these kind of three boxes that everybody has to go through. And so everybody needs at some point in their spiritual development, that structure, the order, mm -hmm. the laws, the rules that you need that in your spiritual development. You need to have a container. You need to have, I call it a scaffolding right. um, to be able to, to grow upon. And then you go through a, a point where you're some of that scaffolding, you realize that it's some, what's not important, what is um, going to be at odds with the core beliefs of your faith. Mm -hmm. um, you put it so, so kindly and said, you know, sometimes you think that you're doing good, but you're actually doing harm. And you have to kind of wrestle with that. And sometimes wrestling with that comes about because of some sort of traumatic experience in your life. So whether it be a big change in your life or whether it be a death or an illness or even like, oh, my spouse changed their way of looking at things. Um, and then you kind of create your third way of um, bringing together both of those things. Um, and so when you have mature spiritual development, uh, it's that third way. That's very beautiful. Yeah, mm -hmm. I really like that. And I absolutely agree. I think that's a very well put. Yeah, I really, yeah. really like him. And I think people can do that. Um, some people who have been raised in a very strong faith background get that in their childhood. Right. But sometimes I find it fascinating that you said that you started kind of having some of these thoughts and feelings at a very young age and then went through a seeking period. I think you, it was almost needed to land somewhere where it was very rule-based and literal interpretations of things to build that scaffolding and then be able to grow around it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then like, I recently came to realize that when I worked with, because uh, I work with a coach and he is of the Sunni, he's of, he was of the Orthodox Sunni tradition, but we still work together. And what I, when I work with him, because he really helps Muslims, um, he's a productivity coach, but he really helps Muslims put uh, Allah centered time management as his thing. So, but, oh, wow. so really what I love about it is that like the, like you talked about the discipline. So like the Sunnis teach me how to discipline my soul, the Sufis, how to love and let go. And I love meeting like uh, Sunni Sufis because they are really, they're very serious and sincere in their practice. And so there's a lot you can learn. There's so much you can learn from them because if you meet someone 
And maybe you'd have different perspectives on certain points of belief, but they excel at something and they are sincere and they genuinely care and they put their whole heart and soul into it. That's something admirable. And even if they have like, this is where I stand, but I can respect you where you're at and I'm not mm -hmm. going to force you or I'm not going to shame you. And I'm, like, I'm going to just love you and, and make dua. I don't like dua is like, say prayer for me. Like say, my mom makes prayers for me. I know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm good with that. Like that's like, so it's, a, it's like meeting people who are like my mom who genuinely mm -hmm. love you, but you might have very different outlooks, but they love and care for you mm -hmm. and they're there to help you. And there's so much to learn from their manner. Yes. So, so yeah, this, I, I would say the scaffolding was important. It also really enabled me to understand and empathize what it's like to be in that situation. Cause I didn't mm -hmm. have that growing up. Yeah. And, um, even though like it was, I was surrounded by it, but I couldn't relate to it. Mm -hmm. But then I, then I reached a point where I was like, wow, I know, what, I know what this is like. And mm -hmm. so, um, so it was ex extremely helpful. Mm. That's so beautiful. And I, in, the Christian world, I feel like there's a lot of people who are going through those same struggles mm -hmm. um, to redefine their faith, to um, be dissatisfied with the way that their faith is not in alignment with the teachings of the faith. So when you talk about love and you talk about brotherhood and you talk about, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself and inclusiveness, and yet sometimes their religion is not carrying out those core tenets. And so people are really wrestling with that. And in the evangelical Christian world, it's called deconstruction. Oh, wow. And it sounds like uh, you went through some of those same kinds of things within your tradition. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's beautiful in Christianity how long, and even Judaism, because Christian Judaism has, I think they have a long history of this where there people have been struggling and working with it, struggling and working with it. And so you have these like very valid different schools, but they're, mm -hmm. they're quite, they can be quite radically different. You know, mm -hmm. and of course, there was a time when everyone was calling each other a heretic. <laughs> right, exactly. And burning people at the stake, people, which yeah, there was really yeah, good at. <laughs> yeah, so like there was that. But then for the past hundred years, there's more, there's been a real um, movement away from that, that extreme, mm -hmm. the most extreme form of that and kind of a kind of acceptance of that. Mm -hmm. Everyone, yeah. we're all Christian and it's good. Like um, my mom, she had this book uh, by a, a reverend from Africa and he's from the Protestant denomination, but his father was Catholic and it talked about how he converted. And I was like, converted to what? And it converted right. to Protestant. Like he converted to, <laughs> I was like, mom, that's ridiculous. Uh -huh. Like you went from being a Christian to a Christian. Like, Christian. Like, right. <laughs> exactly. But it is, I mean, yeah. it is so some, some of the denominations and some of the faith traditions are so different, even though the core beliefs and even the, the scripture are the same, their interpretations right. of it vary immensely mm -hmm. and, and is a cause of consternation sometimes. Right. Yeah. Oh, this is so amazing. So tell me a little bit about how all this is showing up in your life and in your work. How are you actually kind of living some of these principles, especially in the work that you do? Okay. The the emphasis, I think, on Sufism is experience. So in my life, what I found is at different stages and where I'm at in the past couple of years, I needed more than spirituality, if this makes sense, because I was doing all the spiritual practices that whether it was my religious practices of the five prayers, fasting, 
uh, you give charity, all these. I was doing all of that. And I was doing additional practices that are within the Sufi tradition. So we have the remembrance of God. So we have different ways of doing uh, meditation, contemplation. But it wasn't helping because I was actually going through um, emotional. I had some some difficult emotional problems and I had some mental health concerns. I was I, I, I'm a, I very much I have a kind of I, when I get into something, I'm a, a bit uh, obsessive. <laughs> so, and there's so much, I think in our age, there's so much kind of, there's a lot, there's an uptick on anxiety and there's an uptick on just feeling dis-ease, mm-hmm. you know, and not being comfortable with yourself. So mm-hmm. I was having to explore all of that and insecurity because I was a, I was becoming a middle-aged woman. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever went through this, but like as a middle-aged woman, you realize you're passing your prime and there are all these new models, like all these new models on the market. And you're like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> like, like we all do? go through that. Yeah. yeah. So so it was a it was like a combination of um, of so many, so many things. And everyone in my because I have a, I have a super like that. My husband's family is super spiritual. My, my family is very, very religiously spiritual. But the so everyone would tell me, like, do this practice or do that practice. And I was doing everything and it wasn't helping. Mm hmm. And, um, and I won't say it, wouldn't, it didn't help, but that really wasn't the issue because I was kind of caught up in my head. Mm-hmm. I was overthinking. I was worrying. I was, and I had basically uh, kind of even reached a place of being de- kind of depressed, like feeling mm-hmm. depressed. And, uh, and so I started looking into psychology and I found that psychology, because, because what I needed at that point, in addition to the spiritual, was actually psychological help. I needed mm-hmm. to learn about how my mind works. I needed to mm-hmm. learn about the, there's a wonderful book, You Are Not Your Brain. That was really helpful to know. I, I needed to learn that, you know, our feelings are generated by our thoughts. Mm-hmm. I There was so much I needed to know, like, why, why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? Why do we feel fear, right? What am I fearing? Like, I'm, am I fearing the loss of what I love the most? Like, what if, you know, like, and I did, I was like, what if my husband was and naturally... It's, it's natural to be attracted to beautiful people. So I'm okay with that. But the thing is, is that like, what, what if that attraction leads to something more or what if the whole thing falls apart? Right. Mm-hmm. And I've built my life around this. This is my life. So it was essential to me to get that, to have that access to psychology, to start looking into health, to know how I'm eating, am I active, what is going on with me physically, like what makes me feel good. Music, music has been essential this past year. It's been really essential to my, um, uh, personal healing and development. I find mm-hmm. I cannot stress how I love how much I love and importance I get to music. Um, mm-hmm. In the Chisti tradition and in the Sufi tradition, there's Kavali and different forms of music. Music is very important to Sufis, and a Kavali is like usually it's a it's a couplet, or like can be in Persian or Urdu or different whatever the language is. But there's a specific phrase that'll be like a refrain that's repeated and it can lead you into an ecstatic state. It can give you what the, you can just um, kind of just takes you away and makes you kind of elevates you, makes you expands just how you feel. It's just an amazing experience. So uh, since I don't really, I don't understand like those languages. So I actually do that with American pop music. Like if I find, (laughs) and I love it, I love it. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's sacrilegious, but like, but like, (laughs) but not, (laughs) but it's not because it's the principle is the same. See, I'm, I'm, uh, it's the operating principle. And that is Uh that there's a refrain here. That's very powerful. It's very, it's like, this is what I need to hear. Mm-hmm. And I'll so I'll put that song on a loop and I'll take mm-hmm. it and I'll go jogging or I'll I'll just 
take it and enjoy it on a walk because I need that message. Mm. And, um, and I find it has that same, same uplifting effect. So, mm. so, with, so what's a song that you use? Oh, I like, oh, so many. So, uh, Rise by, uh, Katy Perry was uh-huh. really, really, I listened to it for a while. There's one called Brave that's, uh, yes. that's mm-hmm. I love that because I, I had trouble at speaking up when things were like uncomfortable. I tend to be a people pleaser. So I didn't, instead of like being able to voice that and say like, I'm not feeling comfortable with this or I'm not sure we should go that way or that's not okay with me. I would just kind of, you know, shut down and be like, yes. okay. Go like, along to get along. Yeah. Yeah. Like yes. whatever. <laughs> My body's saying no, but I'll just say yes. So I've had so, that experience. Yeah. It's been amazing because, and even like, I love Taylor Swift. So she has that song 22. Okay. And it's like, it's, and it reminds me of my youth. I love that song for so many reasons because I'm like, there's a sweetness to all of this. Like now, do I want to go back and be doing some of those things? No, probably not. Mm-hmm. But, but I do remember those things. And, and there is a sweetness in that, like, it's a type of like innocence and it's a type of learning about the world and there's a fun about it. And so mm-hmm. I was, I was jogging to that. And because I'm not 22, I'm much closer now to 42. So I was like, so I started changing the words of the song, you know, and it was just cracking me up as I, as I ran. But music is, is very powerful and healing. And, and I do think people need to use mediums that they understand because meaning is essential. Like meaning is actually what gives purpose and gives everything. Like my daughter, when she, when we talk about prayers and stuff, it's like, she'll be like, I don't want to say the prayer because I don't know what it means. Like, cause I'm doing it in Arabic and she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that's fair. <laughs> like, and so in my work, so what I originally I had before I started productive wisdom, I had thought about doing it, offering as a course, as a mm-hmm. six week course modeled after my, the work of my own productivity coach. And there was some opposition to that where I was going to offer it. So I, so I ended up not being able to do that, but it was God's grace. Like it all worked out for the best on multiple levels, like sometimes the things that don't go our way or cause us the most pain or, or times when we can't, like maybe the people in our lives that we ended up not being able to work it out with, I have found that they are your greatest teachers. Maybe Mm -hmm. they weren't trying to teach you, but they Mm -hmm. actually end up being that way because they gave me insight into myself on so many levels and into the world and how the world works. And so, so that ended up resulting in what I started writing, which productive wisdom which is a weekly newsletter where I brought together all of these experiences and all these different things that have helped me that I feel are essential to have a spirituality, which is one, it's based in the in practice, but it's also based in all of these different aspects of our lives, mm-hmm. whether that's our environment or whether that's music or whether that's um, health, psychology, whatever, whatever that is all of that's actually spiritual. So when I, when I do affirmations or I listen to like, I love Lisa A. Ramona, like the breakthrough life coach. She's fantastic. She, and she works with codependency and deals with like narcissism and dealing with narcissistic abuse and things like that. So when I listen to all of this, all of this is for me, all of this is spiritual and all Mm -hmm. of this is part of personal development, personal growth, spiritual growth. And I've found like you shared, I I found like it's really resonates with people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think again, I'm very much a person who 
wants to integrate spirituality and everyday life because spirituality is everyday life. And I think we've been so conditioned to, you know, contain spirituality in a building or at a time of day Mm -hmm. or a particular experience. And And we've, you know, been taught to separate the sacred and the secular and it there's really no difference um it's Absolutely. it's all about the meaning that you find out of it and being intentional and engaging with that in a very holistic whole person way so yeah i mean if you're jogging and you're not you're just jogging to jog that's one thing but if you're jogging with the intention of you know i'm trying to maintain my body and being the best condition so that I can then have a better balance in my emotional state and deal with some of these feelings that come up from this or that or the other thing. And then I process and and use these different practices to examine my thoughts and get stillness. I mean, it's all spiritual absolutely. if you're going about it that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's that was actually when I was um, when I first married into my husband's family. It was it's a Hindu Muslim household, so I I remember thinking how interesting because in Hinduism and Islam you have um, the puja is done every day. The there's like worship is every day. It's in the home. It's not like you don't go to like you can go to a mosque or a temple, but it's actually part of your home on a mm-hmm. daily basis. And then the yeah. five prayers and and so there's no real separation in those traditions. Mm-hmm. You don't feel it as much like in Christianity. And I don't think it's meant to be that way, but it happens that way often that there feels like a, there really does feel like a separation and like, mm-hmm. okay, church is on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And like now some people do, of course, got Bible reading and prayer daily, but it is possible to actually not do much for like six days out of the week and only go for an hour on Sunday. Like that mm-hmm. is possible. <laughs> yes. It's not just possible, but a lot of people do that. And right. then they don't let those things infuse into their daily life. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. So if people who are listening and people in East Central Illinois are interested in learning more about you or connecting with other people in the community who are practicing Sufism, how would they go about doing it? There aren't very many places nearby. So my husband and I, that's actually one of the reasons why we began with, we're using basically almost an entirely online platform. And we, we hope to do in-person gatherings and things, but there's really not a lot in person that you can find in terms of this area that, that we've seen or found. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you are always welcome to gather at Soul Care. I would love that. I yes, would love that. You are always welcome. And again, maybe if people start, maybe there'll be more people who are curious about it and want to learn more and and just um, engage with it in some way. Yeah. Um, and then how do people connect with uh, your newsletter? So you can either go directly to the website at essentialspirituality.org or you can connect with me via Facebook or Twitter. And then I there is a link, but I don't have the link written down. <laughs> That's and okay. And we'll put it okay. in the show notes. Okay, yeah, we'll definitely you. put it in yeah. the show notes. But I like to give you an opportunity to say thank it you. and and kind of remind people about it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're listening in your car, out for a jog, it'll mm-hmm. be in the show notes. <laughs> thank you. Um, so I always like to end with uh, kind of a series of rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of ask all my guests this, and it's a great way to end the conversation. So they're just a couple of really quick tidbits to get a little bit more about you. So what is something that people get wrong about you? 
I don't know. I, because I, I'm like an open book. Like people, you can read my face. I don't know. I, <laughs> um, I think, I think I have a very analytical side that I don't show in person and it, it doesn't, it doesn't come out unless I've been hurt. And mm. if I'm hurt, then I, my heart and my right brain, my feeling side shuts down completely almost. And I become like cold, not like unfeeling, but I become like cold, rational and like a surgeon, but I don't tend to, I don't tend to operate out of that place. But if, I can if I need to. So mm -hmm. I think that's something that doesn't necessarily come through sometimes. Or so, so I, I like, I'm kind of ditzy. So I, like, like, I so like this person don't take her seriously. Like, so like uh, that, I think it would be that. <laughs> I like it. Ditzy and analytical. Mm -hmm. I love that combination. Um, are you familiar with the Enneagram at all? I am. Yes. Do yes. you know what your number is? I believe I'm a two. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I would have, uh, again, you're not supposed to type people, but just from some of the things that you were sharing, I would have, um, I, I expected you to say that you were a five. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but I, I think that Enneagram is a great tool and it's from, um, it's actually from a variety of different traditions. So, um, so for you, what's your favorite or most meaningful spiritual practice right now? I would say probably it would be reading the Quran. It's the thing that I'm spending the most time with and devoted to. However, in addition to that, I, right now I can't say my ritual prayer, but I do enjoy the ritual. And to be totally this thing, I think it's actually when I'm doing running and jogging and doing the music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, for yeah. me, like that one gives me a high that is irreplaceable right now in my life. But after that, I would be definitely the Quran because I, I do enjoy, I enjoy it. And I, like I was before having the session with you, I was reading it. And the Quran is something for me at this point, it's like the sound is very profound. So again, it's it's almost like musical. So the Quran is really a, um, it's a, it's an oral, um, I don't, I'm going to use the word sensual, but it has, it has a really powerful, attractive, like you just can't put it down once you start to learn how to recite it in the Arabic, like in translation, it doesn't, in no translation I ever found, I never appreciated the Quran until I started learning Arabic. Because, mm. and I have hundreds, like not hundreds, but I have like dozens of translations and some are prettier than others, but it's really, it is like, it is something else, the way that it is done. It's, it's like singing, but it's not singing. It's just very, it's a very powerful and it's a really meticulous one. So, so it's, it's, it's got a really like, you know, deep work. It draws you in. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah. are you fluent in Arabic? No, I would never say that. <laughs> Because because Arabic is something that it's uh, it's for an English speaker it's the hardest level language and Quranic mm -hmm. Arabic is like I'm working with uh, Luca Lamparelli or Lampere I'm just messing up his last name he's an Italian polyglot he's brilliant but like I'm in one of his classes and he said that I'm trying to master a skill within a skill so I have learned to read the Quran so mm -hmm. I have learned to read Arabic but to read it with all of the rules of classical Arabic with the what is called Tajweed, which is correct recitation, which is not like reading like modern standard Arabic, because modern standard Arabic, you don't apply many of the Tajweed rules, they don't apply at all to modern standard Arabic. So it's like a totally different level of reading. So mm -hmm. I am working towards fluency. But no, I am not fluent mm -hmm. <laughs> at all. So but it's something I, I, I is my aspiration, I hope God willing, I will achieve that. Um, but I don't see that happening. It'll take some time. So by the time it could be like a year or more, it's like, so mm -hmm. it could take some, and like to do like to be truly fluent, it could take several years. Wow. That's really cool though. So you do try to recite it in Arabic because oh, yeah. it's, 
Oh, I do. I read it. I read it and recite it in Arabic now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that's that's what I don't even actually really go to my translations much anymore. Okay, but occasionally to this thing. But I actually I'm reading it every day in Arabic. And I and I and it's just like it's just it's it is the beauty of the sound. You stretch letters. And and what's funny is like um, because at first I I just got into the stretching of sounds because it is musical. But it's I have a wonderful Tajweed teacher named Sheikh Ismail. And um, and he and he helps me every Tuesday and Thursday and, and gets uh, corrects me and then helps teach me how to recite it beautifully. And his recitation is mind blowing, like just gorgeous. And so mm. it's it's a lot of fun. And I have lots of Arabic friends that are just, uh, you know, shout out to Esra and Rehem and Ali, but they they make it possible too. they they help me so much. That's amazing. Um, do you have anything like memorized that you would share a verse or two? I could share the Surah Fatiha with that. It's seven verses, but they're short. It's it's the opening of the Quran. It's the most read verse of the Quran. So, okay. A'udhu billahi minal shaytanirajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahmanirrahim Maliki Yomiddin Iyaka na'budu wa Iyaka nasda'in Ihdina sirat al-mustaqeen Sirat al-ladhina anamta alayhim Gairil mugdubi alayhim Thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. I really felt it. Well, thank you. I love. It. Okay, I would say I love you, Kelly, but I do. <laughs> like, I, I really. That I was really, really beautiful. It. Like it brought me to tears a little bit. That was really beautiful. God's grace. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. What is one thing in your life that might seem ordinary but is sacred for you? Ooh, that's a fun one. I think reading Percy Jackson with our girls. <laughs> uh which one well we read oh which one okay number yeah, like five which number theory? five oh the first uh-huh. series the, the first, first series, series. yeah uh-huh. number number five is my favorite like i i raised them on classics and then and then the, and they gravitated towards percy jackson and i didn't like it at first i was like dude dude everywhere dude you know <laughs> That's what and they then, say. That's what they say. And then um, what was beautiful, though, by the fifth book, I really I really realized uh, how profound that work is. It's and it's like the, there's a constant environmental theme throughout it. There's the, this message that um, it doesn't matter. Like and this applies to all civilizations, but he's specifically talking about Western civilization. But like it actually applies to every every civilization a person comes from is that there are things that need to change. There are seriously things we need to change, but there is something also that is worth preserving. And we should not throw out and lose sight of what, what's worth 
retaining in our culture and our civilization. But at the same time, we need to work to save it, to change it, to constantly be expanding ourselves and opening up to um, progress, you know, improvement. So, and then just the self-sacrifice that Percy's the hero, but he's not the hero. I mean, right. and he doesn't mind that. Percy's character just blew me away. Uh -huh. Like, I, he won me over. And then the uh, Aries daughter, what is her name? I forget. Clarice. Clarice, uh -huh. how she comes in the final battle. You know, I'm not going to spoil it alert, but like it's, it is. A, <laughs> it's, so we actually finished the series and then we reread it because I wanted oh. to rehear it from a perspective of I'm coming from a place where I actually appreciate this book now and I really want to dig into it. So it's, mm -hmm. it's so much fun. And our oldest mm. daughter, she does the voices. She does the character voices and <laughs> it's really awesome. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. My, my youngest son is 17 now and he mm -hmm. loved all of those series of all of the books. So there's yeah. a whole series about um, the Norse mythology and there's another series about Egyptian mythology mm -hmm. and he just devoured them all. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, how old are your daughters? Our oldest is 15 now and our youngest is what? She's 12. Oh, what a great age. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a, my youngest is 17 and he's my last one and I'm kind of sad that he's going to be leaving I bet no it's hard it is mm -hmm. hard mm -hmm. yeah so um what are you deeply grateful for right now this moment mm. and being here with you and getting to meet you mm -hmm. yes um and then finally what is a book that has inspired you that you would recommend okay um I'm right now reading Feeling Great, which is the sequel to Feeling Good. And mm. I would say that one because uh, well, and why it's relevant to me right now is because I have um, someone dear in my life uh, who reached uh, reached out and they were going through um, the, many of the things that I've spent the past five years working through, like feeling, you know, beating oneself up, having, um, you know, we have sometimes religious constructions that tell us we're bad or we it's it's kind of a negative framing. It's not a, the positive framing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, uh, feeling terribly sinful mm -hmm. when you really, I mean, I, we, we spoke and I said, you know, like, uh, it might help to realize, you know, you're not the devil, mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. picture the devil and picture you, you're okay. <laughs> you're like, uh -huh. you're very good, but sometimes we can do that. And so I've, I read that book before feeling good in the past and, um, and, and then always dip back into it when I needed it. But he has a new book called feeling great. Mm -hmm. And it's basically feeling good, but uh, his latest research and then um, all the advancements Dr. David Burns has made in cognitive therapy. And even he has something called team therapy now. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I'm reading that. We're actually reading it together. And, um, and I would say, uh, based on feeling good, I'm certain it's going to be fantastic. But it's always helpful, I think, to know about cognitive distortions and how the brain works and thinking. So I would recommend that book at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I will definitely have to look at that. And I always put um, links to all the books that um, either the things that you've been talking about in our conversation, I've been capturing them and we'll nice. put links to all the books because I'm a uh, bibliophile and I love to read and I want to share that with people. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, this has been just such a lovely conversation. I really have enjoyed uh, your openness and your spirit and your honesty and vulnerability and um, your spirituality and your presence just really shines through. And I, I appreciate that and getting to share 
this hour with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly. And I love I love your smiling face and to actually have this interaction with you. And and the work you're doing, I think, is critically important. I think I, like I read in that interview you gave how you wanted to create a space where people didn't have to travel to experience mm-hmm. a retreat and mm-hmm. they didn't and they just needed quiet or they just needed a sacred space. And um, and because like and you shared, I think, how our homes sometimes aren't conducive to that. And that's so true. Mm-hmm. And yes. and I think it's beautiful, the work you're doing. And I think the community building you're doing. And I just and your own spiritual journey when you shared in that interview was so really just amazing. Well, so open, you. open hearted, constantly learning. And and even when we started this, how you were like, let me see how to pronounce this, because I want to do it right now. And that attitude of learning and growth mindset is is priceless. And I think so good. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely served me well, and uh, it's it's been in my own growth and development through the years, and acceptance of my own humanity. Yeah, <laughs> makes you humble. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much, and and it's thank been a you. delight. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything Is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation. Or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, Come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.